Welcome to the Salt Company Cedar Falls podcast. We're a ministry of Candeo Church, and we are glad you're listening. Yo, what's up, everybody? Hey, Elias. It's good to see you today. Good to see you, man. All right. Hey, you can go ahead and begin finding your seat. Guys, it's like Thanksgiving break tomorrow. That's... You guys made it. The fall semester, it can be a long one. It can be rough, no break. Don't worry, spring break. If you're a freshman, don't worry. Spring break is a, it comes right in the middle. It's great. So you made it to Thanksgiving break. It's awesome. We got our Christmas tree set up pre-Thanksgiving. That's right. Pre-Thanksgiving. That, uh, what's that? You have, some, you have some problem with that? Okay, up there, me and you, we'll talk afterwards, okay? Pre-Thanksgiving. I was a big non, like, pre-Thanksgiving guy before I married Natalie, and then Natalie converted me. She also converted me to country music, pop music. Yeah, she's just, she's changed me. It's great. Clean clothes, I don't know. Yeah. (laughs) All right, if you've got a Bible, we are going to be in Ephesians 6 tonight. So uh, Monday morning, I woke up, and my brothers in our, like, Man Jones group chat, that's what we call it, Man Jones, that's what we call it, just starts blowing up. And my first brother's like, anyone experiencing PTSD this morning? And like, it's like, wait, why is that the case? And the, it was the case because for nine years, at least one of us, the Monday before Thanksgiving week started wrestling practice. And the first week of wrestling practice is affectionately known as Hell Week at Southeast Polk. It is awful. I know everybody thinks that their sports conditioning week is the hardest. Wrestling, it is. It absolutely it is. I know it is because the basketball players, they had a smile on their face during the first week of practice. Wrestlers, we never did. No smiling, just all like, I hate life. So it was like 6 a.m. conditioning practices in the afternoon, long practices. They're like, they're probably just getting out. They started at 3.15, five hours in. That's an exaggeration, but it was awful. It is the one week of the year that's 10 days long. Anyways, that's how I think about it. So we're all like texting each other. It's like, wow, none of us are at wrestling practice this week. That is awesome. But we loved that kind of season now that we're done with it. And the reason why we loved being a part of Southeast, Southeast Polk Wrestling so much is because it historically is an incredible program. It has experienced tons of success. And anytime you're a part of an organization that is effective and successful, it's a blast. It's a ton of fun. And then naturally you begin to kind of ask yourself why. Why, like what about this team? What about this sports team or sports program? What about this business or whatever? Why are they experiencing success in a way that no one else is? And so I have a bunch of theories about why Southeast Polk wrestling is so successful. But one of the things that I think was most important was one thing that my coach said over and over and over again. He would say this at least daily, it felt like. He would say at one point or another, something along the lines of, this is not a team, it's a family. This is not a team, it's a family. And the reason why he was saying that is because he wanted to give us a greater vision of what we were a part of than maybe we would have at first thought we were a part of. And he knew if he could help us see that what we were a part of was actually a family, if he could just get that vision of what we were a part of right in our minds, then all the little details of what made us successful wrestlers would just start to bring, would fall into place and we'd have a ton of clarity about those. 
So instead of like constantly talking to us about being on time and making sure we cut weight the right way and making sure we did like all the like steps of conditioning, he would just say, hey, what does commitment in a family look like? And then all of a sudden, all those things was just like, it's like, oh, I, I totally get it. So what he was doing is he was consistently giving us a new set of lenses to look at what we were a part of because he knew if he could bring clarity to that, all of the details would fall into place. And what we've been seeing in this relationship series the last couple of weeks is that God, while he wants us to know the practical wisdoms to navigating the nuances of our family situation, more often than not, he is going to give us a big picture vision of what family is supposed to be like, what marriage is supposed to be like, who, what the type of person you are supposed to be like when it comes to dating. He's gonna start there. That's his primary concern because he knows if we can get that right, then all the other details fall into place. So two weeks ago, when we're talking about marriage, instead of opening up our Bibles and seeing five hacks to communicate well, what we got was, hey, your marriage should give the world a glimpse of the gospel. So then when it comes to, okay, how do I communicate with my spouse? Instead of saying, okay, what were the five hacks in the Bible? God says, hey, think about this. How could the way you communicate with your spouse give the world a glimpse of the gospel? And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, okay, wow, that just created a whole new category and all of these things begin to fall in place. Instead of answering the question, can I slide into this girl's DMs to ask her out on a date? Last week, what we saw was, no, you should be the sort of person that seeks first the kingdom of God. And how would somebody seeking first the kingdom of God ask their sister in Christ on a date, right? Instead of answering the DMs question, it just says, hey, be the sort of person that your life ambition is to be a person marked by holiness, integrity, humility, character. And if you get that right, yeah, there might be some questions about the details of dating that you need wisdom on, but more often than not, you're going to get it right. And so tonight we're going to be talking about parents. We're going to be talking about family. And again, we're going to get this kind of big picture, timeless principle that God is going to give us. And what God is wanting us to do is to get the timeless principle right, the vision that he has for our families. Because if we can get that right, then all of the nuances of trying to know what it looks like to live in a God-honoring way inside of our families in our particular culture and time they'll begin to fall into place. So if you've got your Bible, like I said, Ephesians 6 is where we're going to be at. Tonight, we're going to break this down into three questions. What's God's vision for our families? How do we relate to our parents then in light of that vision? And then how do we navigate some common issues when it comes to parents with wisdom? So starting with a biblical vision of the family, Ephesians 6 is where we're going to be at. That might happen a few times because I was at Peppers right before this. If you haven't been to Peppers, that's like a Cedar Falls staple. I don't even know how you're a UNI student. Uh, and the music was loud and I was talking really loud. And so I'm going to need some water, I think. A little parched. It's just the reality. Okay, Ephesians 6, 6 1, biblical vision for the family. Here's what we get verse 1 Children, obey your parents in the Lord because this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and you may have a long life in the land. Fathers, 
don't stir up anger in your children, but bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Okay. What is God's biblical vision for the family? So we get kind of this passage that almost has two parts. First, he's going to address children to parents, and then he's going to address parents to children or fathers to children. So what does he say to children? How should children relate to their parents? Well, first, children, obey your parents. That's the first command. If you are a child, which is every single person in this world, I don't know anyone of the... Has anyone been born through a Petri dish yet? Yes? Okay. No, I don't know. But even the Petri dish baby, they probably still have some sort of parental figure. Regardless, children, obey your parents. Why or how in the Lord? What does that mean? It means in, in respect to the authority that God has in your life, obey the authority is put in your life. So children, obey your parents in the Lord. Why? Because this is right. If you are a child, it is right to obey your parents. God has put that authority in your life as a source of blessing, as a source of uh, guidance, of wisdom, of leadership. And we are to respond to that authority by obeying them. That actually God putting parents in our life, is, is if they do that in a healthy, God-honoring way, that should actually give us as children a glimpse of the sort of authority that God has in our own life. So children, obey your parents in the Lord because this is right. Here's what he says also to children. Verse 2, honor your father and mother which is the first commandment with a promise so that it may go well with you and that you may have a long life in the land. Here's the timeless principle, the new vision, the lens by which we are to see our relationship with our parents. Honor. Honor your father and mother. Here's what he's doing yet again. He's pulling us way, 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 way back, giving us this huge timeless principle. Honor your father and mother. If that is the way that you primarily see your relationship and how you're to relate to your parents, a ton of the other question marks and nuances begin to fall in place. I want to be a person who is marked by honoring my parents, honoring my father and mother. Now, why? Well, he gives us the motivation, verse 3, so that it may go well with you and that you may have a long life in the land. Now, does that mean that children who obey and honor automatically live to a hondo? No, probably not. But I know that's kind of a weird way to say it. Now I feel awkward. That joke didn't land. So let's just forget that. I could do a turkey laugh, make everyone laugh. And then it's just like we forgot that I said a hondo. But we're, here we are, just total awkwardness. And I'm staring at Jacob Abbas now, which also feels slightly awkward by now. What is he saying? What's he saying? Well, he's pointing out a general truth. And the way God designed the world, those children who consistently obey and honor their parents, in general, life is going to go well for you. That is going to be a recipe for flourishing, and that's God's design. Now, are there exceptions to that because we live in a broken world? Absolutely. But in general, what he, he's talking more about in general, those who obey and honor their parents, it's going to go good for you. That's God's wisdom. That's God's design. Okay, so that's children to parents. What about parents to children? Then verse four, he points out the father specifically as the leader of the home, but these principles definitely apply to mothers. But here's what he says, fathers, don't stir up anger in your children, but 
bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. So you get two commands here. One is a negative command. One is a positive command. In the negative, don't stir up anger in your children. As you guys become parents, or as me as a parent, I am not to stir up anger in my children. I'm not to set them up in a lose-lose situation. I'm not to be overbearing. I'm not to be absent. I'm not to, to create an environment that is negative or unhealthy. I don't wanna stir up anger in them. But instead, the positive, I want to bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. The command to me as a dad and the command to you as you guys become parents is that you are to cultivate your children. You are to mature them, to bring them up. And what are you to bring them up into? In the training and instruction of the Lord. So here's what we're seeing as we kind of like put these pieces of the puzzle together, children to parents, parents to children. What we're seeing in in the Bible as a whole is that the family is God's primary context for care and cultivation in Christ in the life of an individual. That God's big vision for your family and for the family that he designed is that it would be the primary context where people are cared for and where they're cultivated in Christ-likeness, where they're being brought up in the training instruction of the Lord, in this honoring, respect-based relationship where there's obedience and flourishing. That's God's design for the family. And so now we're going to pan way back and just say, when we apply that lens to our family situation, so many of the details begin to fall into place. When I don't just ask like, okay, like, am I supposed to put my kids to bed at eight or seven 30? But instead I ask, what's going to bring up my kids to cultivate an environment of flourishing, not one that frustrates them, but one that is for their flourishing and bringing them up ultimately in the Lord. Well, I might still land at 7.30 or 8, but that is a completely different way to think about my parenting than just the simple, like, I don't think anybody in this room knows what baby wise is. Maybe Elias knows what baby wise is, but there's a, it's very controversial. Don't just go around talking to parents and slip in baby wise. That's a, that's a no, no. You don't say that word. It brings up a huge controversy, just saved you a ton of pain in your future life. It's not just a a thing about baby wise or the newest techniques in parenting, but it's ultimately this bigger vision of how do I bring up in the training and instruction of the Lord. So then, if that's God's vision for the family, here's our second question. How then do I relate to my parents? If that's true, what does it look like for me to relate to my parents in a way that honors them? Well, we saw that in verse two, right? The timeless principle, honor your father and mother. That is a timeless principle. And right before that, it said, children, obey your parents. Here's the the big point of tonight's sermon. The big question that I want you to wrestle with. Would your parents say that they regularly feel honored by you? Would your parents, if we were to ask them, would they say the consistent experience that they have with you as their son or daughter is one that is marked by honor? That's the big question that Ephesians 6 is forcing us to ask ourselves. Do I honor my father and mother? Well, what does that mean? Well, honor is kind of a mixture of respect and appreciation. Like I respect them. I respect the position of authority that God has placed in my life. And I have a deep appreciation for how they've used that for my good. So that's, that's in a sense what honor is. I have a respect and appreciation for them. 
Would your parents say they regularly feel honored by you? Now, here's kind of one of the natural questions I think pops up, and it's kind of this question of like, okay, so it says children obey. Do I obey my parents at this stage? Like, what's going on there? Well, I think there's a, a natural thing or obvious thing to all of us that like for Isla and Jack and crew, when I say, hey, you guys got to go to bed at eight, they obey that. My dad, I, you know, when he texted me that last night, hey, Stephen, make sure you get to bed at nine. I didn't obey that. No, he didn't text me that. That doesn't happen. There's kind of an obvious like transition that we're aware of. Like, okay, it seems like maybe this obedience thing shifts through these stages. And that's true. The key word there in verse one was children. He's speaking to people who are still under the direct authority of their parents. Those are the people that are to obey. And that obedience is just this direct deference to their commands. Children, obey your parents. Whereas for me as an adult child, the operative word there is in verse 2, honor. I am to honor my father and my mother. Now, for you guys, you're kind of in this intermediate stage, right? This intermediate transitional time. And I would say that there's still aspects of your life where you are dependent on your parents. For the vast majority of you, there's still things that you are dependent on them. And there's still other areas where you're gaining more and more freedom from them. You're in kind of an intermediate stage. So there are going to be times where you still, as you are still operating independence to your parents, that you still need to obey them. That's why if you signed up for summer trips and your parents say, we're not gonna let you go, we don't send you. Because there's still a reality that many of you have some level of dependence on your parent, which means there needs to be some level of obedience still in kind of that direct line. But regardless, here's what we're gonna come back to. The timeless principle the goal that God wants all of us to have when it comes to our parents, the lens that we want to see our relationship with our parents is this, honor your father and mother. Again, here's our big question. Would you say that your parents regularly feel honored by you? If we ask them, is that what they would say they feel? I wanna get super, super specific. We are all going home this week, many of us. Maybe there's like a few people who aren't, but most of us are gonna see our families this week. And I wanna give our whole ministry tonight a Thanksgiving prayer challenge. And here's the Thanksgiving prayer challenge. Every single day for the next seven days, I want you to wake up and the first prayer that you pray when you're at home is this. God, give me eyes to see the small ways I can honor my parents today. Super, super simple. That's the prayer. That's the Thanksgiving prayer challenge. God, give me eyes to see the ways I can honor my parents today. Could you imagine what would happen if every single person in this room woke up every single day this next week? God, give me eyes to see the ways I can honor my parents today. It would completely change Thanksgiving break for every single one of you. It would be incredible. Imagine like what your parent, like the shock your parents would feel as you began to tangibly honor them throughout their day. Here's some ideas of how that could look. One, you could serve them unexpectedly, right? Just, you just serve them unexpectedly. There's dishes, no, nobody asked, nobody's even paying attention to them, but you just do them. Wouldn't that be awesome? Serving. How about this, encouraging them? How often do you think your parents hear words of encouragement, just in general? Imagine if you said some very specific encouragement to, this, to them this week. 
Maybe point out something that you are incredibly grateful for them and like who they are and how God created them. Imagine just if like you're serving them, encouraging them. Here's another idea. Respect them by seeking their counsel. What if there's something that you're like an area in your life that you're identifying that you need help and some wisdom in and you actually said, hey, mom, would you, would you share how you would navigate this situation I find myself in? Like instead of just like texting or calling a bunch of friends and like only talking to them, actually looking at your mom and say, hey, mom, I think you have some wisdom. Would you speak into my life right now? Your parents would feel so honored. How about this one? Bless them. Bless them by intentionally spending time with them. This week, look for creative ways to spend time with them. Guys, that would honor them. Now, those are some specifics, but once again, God wants us to come way back and have this lens, this lens that we put on when we look at our parents that says, I am going to honor you. Now, here's where we've missed. I think the most common ways that I have missed in honoring my parents, the most common ways I've dishonored my parents, and the most common ways I've seen students dishonor their parents are in four particular areas. Four particular areas that I've seen students and myself dishonor my parents on a regular basis. Here are the four areas. One, a lack of gratitude. Two, a critical spirit. Three, being self-centered at home. And four, being distant and detached. Those are four common ways that I myself and I've seen many of you dishonor your parents. A lack of gratitude. There is just no, you, you have no perspective on all of the sacrifices that your parents have done to help you be where you are. And you've never just cultivated a spirit of gratitude and thankfulness for the ways that they have served you. The ways that they have sacrificed for you. You've never communicated deep and genuine gratitude to your parents. That's maybe one of more ignorance. I'm just, I lack perspective on all the things that my parents have done. The second one though is a critical spirit. The, crit, the, the most consistent way that you think about your parents and the most consistent way you talk about your parents is in the negative. Ask yourself this, do your friends know more about the flaws in your parents' lives or the positives? Are your friends more aware of the things that you wish your parents were or the ways you're grateful for what they did in your life growing up? More often than not, we have a critical spirit when it comes to our parents, more, away, more aware of the ways that our parents have failed us rather than the ways that our parents have blessed us. Do you have a critical spirit? Here's a third way we dishonor, being self-centered at home. Just because you're going home this week does not guarantee that you will honor your parents. Why? Because so more often than not, we go home and we are self-centered. Mom, do my laundry. Mom, cook for me. Mom, clean the dishes, whatever it might be. I'm glad I'm home, but I'm gonna go hang out my, with my friends the entire week. Glad I'm home, but I'm going to go into the basement and play video games the entire week. Just a constant, like, how does this week, oh, it's been a hard semester. This week is going to be so rejuvenating for me, and I'm going to give no thought to how I could potentially bless my parents. I'm going to give no thought to how I could be a blessing in their lives this week. Just being self-centered at home. 
that dishonors your parents. The fourth one, this is very easy to fall into and it's very simple, but just being distant and detached. You have no intentionality in maintaining or cultivating a regular relationship with your parents. Guys, this is so simple. Yesterday, I called my dad for four minutes on, the way, on my way home from work. And he answered, he's like, what's up, buddy? How can I help you? I said, oh, I just called to say hi. He said, oh, cool. And then we talked for like four minutes and then our conversation was like super great and cool. And then I walked in and like, he, I was still on the phone, turned him on speakerphone. He said hi to Isla and Jack. And I was like, all right, dad, I'm gonna leave now. And he's like, cool, all right, bye. Hung up. There was like nothing of consequence that we really talked about. It was just, hey dad, just saying hi. I have no reason to call you. I literally said that sentence. How often do you call your parents just because you want to include them in your life? Or are you distant and detached from your parents? That dishonors them. I think for all four of those, there's maybe a common like objection in our mind. And the common objection goes like this. Man, I'm the child. I'm the son. I'm the daughter. And it feels like this is kind of one-sided where I'm the one putting in all the effort for these relationships. Why am I the one that make, needs to take the step to call? Why am I the one that needs to take the step to spend time with them? Why am I the one to take the step to encourage? That, yeah, that's true. That does suck. That is not how God intended your relationship with your parents to be. He absolutely commanded your father and your mother to be the ones to create an environment of cultivation for you, to bring you up, to not stir you to anger. But how awesome is it that we who are in Christ have great resources of grace and forgiveness. While now we don't just, we don't only rely on what our parents give to us, but we actually have the reality that we have a greater father in heaven. And when we draw from that, that actually gives us resources to be the one to create intentional pathways to cultivate a relationship with our parents. Here's the reality. The timeless principle for all of us is honor your parents. If I were to sit down with you one-on-one, -on -one, I'd maybe get into the nuances of what that specifically looks like in your life. But what I trust is that you will cultivate a sensitivity to the spirit this week at home, and he will help you see ways in which in your particular situation, you can seek to honor your parents. Do you regularly honor your parents? Would they say that is the regular experience they have from you? Now, here's the reality. We've seen the biblical vision for, for the family. We've seen the command to us to honor our families. But what we also know is that there is tremendous brokenness represented in this room when it comes to families. One of the first things in Genesis, what we studied earlier in this semester, when Adam and Eve took the fruit, when they rejected God, one of the first things to break down was the family unit, Cain murdering Abel. Because of the fall, because of our rejection, family is broken. This thing that should have been one of the sources of, of care and cultivation of blessing and delight is now so often marked by brokenness and hurt and pain. So for many of you, this concept of honoring, when you start to think about the particular dynamics and brokenness represented in your family, it actually becomes incredibly difficult to know what this looks like for you. 
Man, how do I honor a parent who has so broken this vision that God has for our family? So what I want to do with the remainder of our time is address four common shepherding areas that I talk with a lot of students about. A lot of students come to our staff, to our elder team, and talk about these four common struggles, four areas where they experience brokenness in family. The four areas, wow, that is unfortunate. Sorry, Dalton, don't slip there. (laughs) We might need some paper towels at some point. Okay, here are the four areas. Four common areas where we experience brokenness in family, non-believing parents, deep father wounds, divorce, and the death of a parent. So these four areas are often incredibly challenging to know exactly how to honor your parents and represent some of the most painful wounds in our life. Now, before we go into practical wisdom, a few things I want to say. All four of these areas can be incredibly confusing, incredibly difficult. They can produce anger and frustration. They can be the source of tremendous pain. And all of them represent a breakdown of how the family ought to be. Now, to be totally transparent, these four areas are not something that I personally have experienced, but I have shepherded a lot of students that have walked through these. And I actually have a lot of close friends that have walked through these. So I actually this week reached out to about five of my friends who have experienced some of these things and just asked them, hey, what are some of the practical wisdom that you would give to students who this is a part of their story? And so I'll share some of the things that I've learned along the way of being a pastor, but I'll also share a lot from these five friends. So we'll start. I just want to give some general wisdom that applies to all four, and then we'll get into the specifics of each one. Um, So first... There's a lot of people that in this room, these are present in their life. And just to start, that sucks. It really does. That is absolutely not what God intended. I asked my friend, friend Sam, uh, what, what was the most helpful thing anyone said to him after his dad died of cancer? And he said this, one of my friends said, this sucks. This is just crappy. He said it was actually incredibly helpful just to have someone acknowledge how hard it is to have a parent die. And for so many of you, before you need to hear advice or platitudes about these four, you just need to hear someone say, man, I, I am so sorry. I'm so sorry that your parent's not a believer. I'm so sorry that your parents got divorced. That is crappy. Then he said there's been a lot of people that who have just jumped in and given me advice, and most of the time I just needed them to sit with me. What I hope, if if these are represented in your story, I hope that someone in this room would just sit with you. I hope that we'd be a ministry that just sits with you and doesn't offer advice, that just says, man, that is awful, and I'm here for you. I asked another friend, Jordan, what God taught him since his dad died of cancer in high school. And he said this, one of the things is that you've got to fight the guilt of grief. Grief is an incredibly important part of your processing. That processing any of these is a long, drawn-out process that could take years. He said, grief and sadness at loss is not sin. It is deeply human. As you process the death of a parent, a divorce, deep wounds, the rejection of God by your parents, your first application point tonight is probably just to cry. My buddy Sam Hauser, who watched his dad tragically die, he said, point one, cry. 
cry in public, cry in private, but you just need to cry. Grief is a process. And again, I don't know where you're at in this process, but you don't have to feel bad about feeling bad. Sadness, anger, denial, all of these are part of a process of grieving. Again, I asked my friend Sam, whose dad passed away, what, he, what advice he'd give to another student. And he said, I just, want people, I just wanted people to be there, just to be present, to remind me that I wasn't alone in this. He said, there are some key relationships that you need to embrace during your grieving process, and these are the relationships. Some others, they said, you just need friends to sit with you. You need mentors to come alongside you. You might need counselors to unpack some of the, to untangle some of the difficult lies that you've begun to believe in these four areas. And so once again, as a ministry, we need to be this for one another, caring for each other. A few things that they said and I've experienced specifically about this. First, to non-believing parents, um, have a long-term view. Be patient. I know you have such a strong desire to see God work powerfully in the life of your parent. I know you want to be bold, and I want you to be bold and courageous. But more often than not, we just need to be profoundly patient. Trust that God desires your parents to repent and believe more than you do. And as you wait, be the best son or daughter you possibly could be. Show them as much respect and honor as you possibly can. Be kind and serve. And here's what I found. If God gives you the opportunity to share the gospel with them, it will come on the foundation of a healthy relationship. It will come on the heels of you being the best son or daughter you possibly can be. Give them tons of grace. Be slow. Here's big wisdom, be slow to claim that they're not believers. I've experienced a lot of students who get super excited, super passionate about Christ. Maybe they give their life to Christ in college and immediately they say, my parents are not believers. Let's be gracious. Let's be patient. That might be true. And it's okay to acknowledge that if it is true. But there's also a reality that some of your parents just have never had the same level of discipleship that you've received in college. Be slow to claim that your parents aren't believers. Be very gracious, very humble, and very patient. All right, father wounds. Now this category definitely applies to the ways your mother has wounded you as well. I'm not trying to exclude her, but there is a fact in our society that there are more deep father wounds than mother wounds. And I want to give some specific uh, advice and wisdom to that. If you've experienced significant trauma from your father, abandonment, neglect, abuse, I am so sorry. That is absolutely not what God intended. When I look at my kids and imagining what, what would have to go on in the life of a father to break down to the point where he would show neglect, abuse, or abandonment to that child, my heart just breaks. And I am so sorry that that is your experience. I can't even imagine the pain that you've endured. And again, if we were to sit down, I would just want to listen. I would just want to cry with you. And at some point in your grieving process, what I would want you to begin to see is what one of my friends shared with me yesterday. As I listened, he said he had a dad that was so abusive and alcoholic that there was a morning when he was in high school that his mom woke him up at five in the morning and said, grab whatever you want to keep and get in the car. And they fled from the city that they lived in. They actually came to this town 
That was how terrified she was of him. She was so terrified that until the day of his death, his mom would check every single door and every single closet and nook and cranny in their house just to make sure he wasn't there, even though they lived in Iowa and he lived in Florida, just in case he came up. That was how much terror he had been put in this family's life. And after his dad's death, he eventually found Christ and, and God got a hold of his life. But his other three brothers, they were filled with hatred for his dad. And a while back in a conversation with one of his brothers, he finally said to his brother, bitterness will cripple you. Bitterness will cripple you. And his brother looked at him and said, no, it's my fuel. And he said, no, it, it will cripple you. This will cripple you. This bitterness and hatred you have for dad will cripple you. As painful as your story is, and as real as the wounds that your father has done in your life, one of the things that I hope along this process you would begin to see is that bitterness will cripple you. And that as long as you allow this bitterness to be present in your life, you will forever be in bondage to your father. And as painful as it is, forgive him. Forgive him. Be released. Be free from the wounds. The only way this is possible is if you experience what my friend experienced, which was first the grace of Christ that gave him the deep resources to forgive his father. The third area, divorce. This is a part of so many of your stories. It's so prevalent in our society. So many of your parents have been divorced. And again, I am so sorry. That is, again, not how God intended the family to work. And once again, I'd sit with you, let you process the crisis. We would grieve and cry. But again, along the way, here's a few things I'd want you to begin to see. First, embrace the fact that this is not your fault. Your parents' divorce is not your fault. You are not guilty for what happened. I know some of you have been put in the middle of court hearings where you're forced to, or you're told that you got to pick a side. Divorce, it wasn't your fault. Second, at some point, I think you should know why, why your parents got a divorce. There are several students that I talk to and they say, actually, I have no idea why my parents got divorced. Now there is absolutely a right time to ask that question, but at some point or another, that divorce is a significant part of your story and you should feel the, the, that there is an appropriate time and place to ask one of your parents, hey, what happened between you and mom? What happened between you and dad? And you don't need to know all the details, but it is appropriate for you to know why your parents got divorced. Lastly, don't define your parents based off the worst mistake of their life. I've sat with multiple people who after they have heard about their parents' secret affair or their dad's pornography addiction for years, they've wondered if anything from their childhood was real. Was that family vacation real when my parent was having an affair the whole time? Was the fun moments at home, were those real? Were my Christmases real? At some point in this process, what I would want to encourage you is to see that yes, those were real. Your dad really does love you. Your dad, those were real moments of joy and delight and care that he was having towards you. Your mom's encouragement to you, that was real. Her love for you was real. Don't redefine your parent based on the worst thing about them. Here's the hope that we have in Christ. We are no longer in Christ defined by the worst moment of our life. And part of honoring our parents 
in expressing to them the grace we've received in Christ is also not defining our parents by the worst mistake of their life. All right, lastly, the death of a parent. I know this has been the experience of several of you in this room. Your parent has passed away. That is incredibly difficult. And I hope as you process your parents' death, you could come to see what my friends Jordan, Sam, my other friends Sam and Daniel all learned. I asked them, and I'm just going to let them speak to this issue. Here's some of the things that they've shared with me this week. Jordan said this, I think what I've learned and, and, and still am learning is that I think and experience a lot of life like I'm fatherless, which is a lie. God is my dad. He's not gone, and I will never lose him. I never would have experienced the maturing of my faith without that loss and trial. I have come to learn that God was fathering me well even in the death of my dad because it was through my dad's death that God introduced me to himself. Through losing my dad on earth, I gained a better one in heaven. Here's what Sam said. God is the best father or mother to fill that void within your heart. But sometimes God won't always feel like a parental figure. And in those moments, that's okay. It's okay to cry. It's okay to be angry at times. My other friend Sam said these things. I had an amazing example in my dad of what it looks like to suffer well and to make sure that your suffering has purpose that lasts longer than this world, which is a huge thing. We all have suffering in this life. It's broken and life sucks. But a huge thing I learned from my dad was how to do, how to find purpose in that suffering. It's hard to swallow and takes times to see, but God is sovereign. Once I was able to look back after some time had passed, I was able to see how God was involved in it all the whole time. That he was drawing me and so many others to himself through my dad's death. That the outcome wasn't maybe what I wanted, but it brought God more glory in the end. Here's what Daniel, who lost his mom to a heart attack, said. It took me 20 years to learn that grieving is a process. One day I was thinking about my mom and how I never really got a chance to know her because she died when I was so young. And the hardest part about death is that there's separation. I can't hug my mom, touch my mom, kiss my mom. My mom can't talk to me. There's a huge separation. I can't do anything about because this is just what death is. One day it struck me. The hardest part about Jesus dying was not that he died, but the separation between God the Father. Jesus didn't just go through what I went through. He went through something that was way worse. Jesus knows what you're going through. He is with you while you go through this pain. And not only that, but he chose the pain of separation so that you could experience closeness with him. Guys, the greatest family relationship was severed so that you could have a father that would never abandon you, would never hurt you, would never reject you. And that relationship could never be threatened because it's not based on who you are, but based on who he is. And when you experience the love of that father, you'll be able 
to turn to your parents, no matter if they're the best parents you could ever want or the worst parents you could ever imagine and honor them. Knowing that you have a great father in heaven who separated himself from his son allows us to honor our parents regardless of who they are. You'll have access to grace and forgiveness that will free you from bitterness. You'll be able to trust that your pain has a purpose and you'll have a deep trust that produces patience and peace as you pray for your parents' salvation. Let's be a ministry that honors our parents. Let's go home this week. Pray every day, Spirit, open my eyes to how you would have me honor my parents. And let's be people who embrace this vision of our family and experience all the blessing that God has intended for our families, not because we're great, but because of the great power and hope of the gospel. Let's pray. God, what an amazing thing. God, that all of the pain and all of the hurt that we experience in our families, you aren't just aware of, but you can legitimately empathize with. Because within your own family, within the family of heaven, there was brokenness. When 2,000 years ago, your son hung on a cross. God, thank you for that reality. God, I pray that that would give us hope. I pray that that would give us peace. I pray that that would give us an incredible grace as we interact with our parents. God, we want families that align to your biblical vision. We want to experience the blessing that you intended for families. But God, we know that we can only do that if we are deeply rooted in the grace that we've received in Christ. God, help us to be people that yes, ask the detailed questions, but first and foremost, care so much more about seeing our families the way you'd want us to see them about being the kind of people that seek first the kingdom of God, that are, that are children who, with all of our might, seek to honor our parents, knowing that it is only through the power of the Spirit and the grace of Christ that we can do so. And God, I pray that these students would gain a vision for the families that you will entrust to them, families that are places of care and cultivation in Christ, God, that they have marriages that will glorify you, that they would date one another in a way that honors you and honors each other as they seek first the kingdom of God. God, let us be a ministry that gets on the front end of so much of the family hurt present. God, I'm just imagining the impact in our society that this ministry could have if instead of churches 15 years from now, having to navigate the pain and, and difficulties of divorce and father wounds and broken marriages. Instead, they're receiving the benefit of students committing today to embrace a biblical vision of their family. God, what a powerful thing it would be in our churches, in our communities, if we gave the world a new vision of family, a new vision of marriage. God, if on our campus, people would see a new way to date one another because students in this ministry were committed to your vision of the family. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Salt Company Cedar Falls podcast. For more information about Salt Company, you can visit saltcedarfalls.com.